The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that knows the secret to getting in to the Hall of Fame. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. You get in your car and you drive there and you buy a ticket. And you walk right in and you tell President of Baseball Hall of Fame, Josh Rowich, that plaque belongs to me now, sir, and I am in the Hall of Fame. That's how. That's all it takes. If there was some sort of American sports Banksy, we would have already had like a fake Barry Bonds plaque smuggled into Cooperstown and tacked to the wall. Yeah, the problem is that uh, I, as I just mentioned, one of them, Josh Rowich, we've, we've mentioned John Shestakovsky. We love the people that, that work at the Hall of Fame. And so I don't want to advocate for vandalism or trespassing at this uh, great institution, but in general, I do think you're making a good point. I think there was probably great opportunity for that at some point over the past 20 years. If Pete Rose, a deplorable man, walked into the Hall of Fame and just started wandering the halls, mm. would he be asked to leave? Great question. I do wonder if he's been there. I have to imagine he has. Um, but that's a great question. Great. I think that's a good... How many people, how many players, since they've retired... Maybe that's, a, or maybe, maybe how many players that aren't in the Hall of Fame that have been on the ballot since uh, have have been to Cooperstown, right? Maybe they went as a kid. Maybe Barry Bonds went as a kid, right? That doesn't really count. But have they been to Cooperstown since then? I'm very curious, very curious. Anyway, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. And then we have a conversation with our friend and Fox Sports colleague, Pedro Mora, to talk about the Angels because some of the biggest news in baseball over the last week is that uh, Artie Moreno will not be selling the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, and so we're going to talk about why that happened and then didn't happen and everything that has led the Angels to this strange point in franchise history. Uh, and then later on, we'll, we'll get to some other moves and some other news. But Jake, let us begin with, with Hall of Fame uh, chat because we did our Hall of Fame episode a week ago, uh, kind of giving our ballot and, and the players, we kind of tiered them. And we finally got the results uh, this week. And Scott Rowland has eked in with 76.3% of the vote on the sixth year on the ballot. Congrats comes, to Scott Rowland. Congrats to Scott Rowland. Mazel tov. As someone who now has an Indiana driver's license, I, I share a little bit more pride about the, the Indiana native uh, becoming, I believe, the 10th uh, Indiana, or sorry, 11th Indiana-born Major League Baseball Hall of Famer joining greats um, like Oscar Charleston and Chuck Klein and uh, Mordecai Brown, three-figure Mordecai Brown on that list. So how about that? You guys um, are the only Jews in Indiana, you and Mordecai. <laughs> yes, that Mordecai Brown for sure. Um, unfortunately, Kenny Lofton uh, is not another Indiana native not uh, on this list. Hopefully, maybe he gets in uh, someday on some some committee. Um, but Scott Rowland, a, a great career. And honestly, my takeaway from him getting in was, wow, uh, Evan Longoria just got a nice little boost here. Because when I was looking yesterday and just kind of comparing Scott Rowland to other third basemen of all time 
and you pull it up and really, you know, you have that that inner circle of, of third baseman all time, Eddie Matthews, Ron Santo, George Brett, Mike Schmidt. He's just just below that, but he's definitely in that next tier of, of best third baseman of all time. And when you compare him to the greats today that we often think of as Hall of Famers, like Machado, like, you know, even David Wright, if you if you want to just go peak wise, like Nolan Arenado, he's right there. He's right there. And for the first half of his career, he even compares similarly, if not comparably, to Adrian Beltre. Um, and so, l- listen, statistically, I think he's worthy. I know a lot of people are like, oh, he barely made any All-Star games. There's never any high on MVP votes. I think longevity and greatness is deserves to be rewarded, and I, I think he's he's worthy. So um, congrats to Scott Rowland, Mazel tov. I find it hard to get mad at people getting in the Hall of Fame unless I think they're immoral people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like and even Scott Rowland ha- seems to be the opposite of that. Bingo. And like Harold yeah. Baines is an mm-hmm. example of this, who got in a couple of years ago mm-hmm. off the Veterans Committee. Uh, 38 career war for Harold Baines. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? No, he doesn't deserve to be. Am I mad about it? No. It's just puts joy into the world for Baines and the Baines family. Yeah. And Harold Baines's inclusion does not make this honor any less special for anybody else. And so exactly. for me, where Scott Rowland might not be like, this generational, I'm going to tell my, like, I will not tell my grandkids about Scott Rowland. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he's certainly good enough to be there, much more than a lot of players who have received this honor. And <laughs> and why not? Like, yeah. who cares? Like, whatever. No, I, I'm, with, I'm with you. And, and and again, you mentioned the family. It was a great video of, of him uh, telling his parents uh, that, that he got in. I thought that was cool. And, you know, did you have a video? You should do a video telling your parents that Scott (laughs) Rowling got into the Hall of Fame that that, that you didn't get in. Um, No, no, no. You tell your parents. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be similarly emotional. Can you imagine (laughs) you tell your your mom, hey, mom, Scott Rowling got in. She's like, "Uh, "Okay, who who did he play for? My mom's probably listening to this. She's probably having actually that exact reaction. So So you (laughs) say the who did he play for? And I want to talk about that side of things for Scott Rowland where yeah I would imagine a world where if Scott Rowland played for one team his entire career it would have a slightly different vibe in my mm-hmm. mind it would smell it would be, a little bit like Barry it would be closer to Helton right well it's Barry Larkin in my mind mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. they play different positions very similar career war mm-hmm. similar career offensive numbers the only difference right is that there was an entire fan base willing to go to bat for Barry Larkin and he felt like important to a place. And I understand that Roland was an impactful player in a number of different fran- for a number of different franchises, but he d- never had like the, he's belongs to that fan base. Right. And that is always a, a dynamic when we're talking about the hall of fame. Yeah. And by the way, you'll hear later on with Pedro, an interesting kind of anecdote about Roland and the Phillies earlier in his career. But to your point, you know, I know he played for the blue Jays super briefly there, but, uh, Three franchises that that really claim him as their own, and I, I am curious what what hat he'll wear, if any. Um, but obviously, starting with the Phillies and and really, you know, peaks and and I, I think of him as a Cardinal for sure. But still finishes with two, you know, All Star years in 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 Cincinnati. You know, second of which was a little goofy, but you know, in 2010 he was he was awesome. And so for him to span over this 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 generation too, right, to go from '96 to 2012. You know, he played with, you know, Joey Votto made a video about how much he meant um, to him early in his career. And it's like, wait, he played with Joey Votto. Like, I'm thinking about him in the late 90s. And so that's that's kind of a, another cool thing about Roland to, to stick around for that long and to be great to multiple different generations. That's another kind of testament to how good he was. 
I love that he almost didn't play baseball at all. Mm-hmm. Roland was one of the best basketball players in the country out of high school was named Mr. Basketball in Indiana. Which means a lot in Indiana. That is a big deal. That is a, a, a very big deal. That's better um, than being the governor. You know, <laughs> if you're named Mr. Basketball in Indiana, you get to, you know, enact executive orders yes, unilaterally. Yes. You get special gerrymandering privileges. <laughs> so, you do it anything a- you want. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Ba- oh, wait, sorry. He was. I have to retract that statement, Jordan. Oh, what? <laughs> He was named Indiana Mr. Baseball, not Mr. Basketball. But he did play basketball, didn't he? He did play basketball and was uh, offered a basketball scholarship to play at Georgia. Mm. And originally, like when the Phillies drafted him in the second round, he wanted to play kind of like the Amir Garrett situation where he was like. There was a way you could do both. Right. He, especially in that time. Like he was going to play for the Phillies minor leagues in the summer and then like ball out in the SEC in the winter. You could play other sports in college while you were right. Correct. Uh, But then the Phillies were like, no, you're not going to do that. And he was assigned to rookie level, rookie level Martinsville. And just a quick tidbit from his minor league career the following year in 1994 with the low A Spartanburg Phillies. (laughs) I just want to read a couple sentences here for you, Jordan. While Roland's offensive metrics in Spartanburg were strong, batting 295 with 10 home runs, his 35 defensive errors in that same span caused concern among sports analysts. His manager defended his defensive performance, saying, I've seen bad hops hit him in the head and be ruled an error. It's a joke. You could take half of them away. Shouts out. To low A manager of the Spartan 1994 Spartanburg Phillies, Roy Majitka, who was like, no, 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 no. Do not trust the fielding percentage. Scott Rowland could pick it. Dude, that's amazing. Obviously goes on to win eight gold gloves. The, okay, first of all, here's what that, that tells me. Um, boy, the infield must have been. The infields in the 1994 Sally League must have essentially been parking lots. Looked like Markable. <laughs> They were like they were like the dirt yards uh, in backyard baseball, where everything in the infield was going every which way. Baseball Reference has thirty eight errors, and then twenty four the next year, nine seventeen fielding percentage. I mean, we're talking like D three levels bad uh, fielding percentage. You will not see this at really any level of professional baseball. And then the next year, a nine oh seven fielding percentage, below ninety percent. For an infielder, and then to stick there, he didn't play a single other position at any point. He did not play a second of another position at any level of his professional career for any reason. That is fucking cool. That, <laughs> yeah, is, that is sick. That is absolutely awesome. At no point was it late, and they were like, hey, Scott, just go over to first for just like the eighth and the ninth. And never. he never DH'd for the Blue Jays the two years he was there or in an interleague game. Right, never, not a and so that is, and again, that's part of the legacy when you're that good at defense. And to go from ninety percent fielding percentage <laughs> is just like, I mean, I don't because here's the thing, it's true. I'm sure there were plenty of bad hops in those terrible infields. You can't tell me he was doing a good job. That isn't, but but they believed in him, right? The tools were there. He was 19. You know, he was going from playing high school baseball in Indiana to go <laughs> Mr. To suddenly, baseball, to Mr. Mr. Baseball, to, to playing in, in Spartanburg, uh, what is that, South Carolina, right? Um, so an amazing career. And then, of course, he, he wins the rookie of the year a few years later. 
uh, and he's off for 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 one of the one of the, just a, a tremendous career. So uh, from that start, yeah, that's that's just a, a fantastic story. And honestly, reminds me of I know Machado's always been amazing, but Arenado, same thing. Arenado in the minors, it was like this dude's kind of pudgy, like and is not very good over there. It's like, oh, okay, what was that? I'm just gonna win every Gold Glove every year of my career. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so very similar. Big hat tip to Scott Rowland. Congratulations. Yes. Can Scott Rowland still dunk after <laughs> uh you know his basketball career? We'll see. There is some Scott Rowland basketball video online <laughs> on YouTube that I highly recommend checking out. Let's move on from Rowland uh and take and roll on to the rest of the results from the ballot. Jordan, yes. what jumped out to you? Uh, from the other, a- a- anything else notable here? Sure. So I, I would say, and Jason Stark, as always, just a great, great breakdown on the athletic, and, I, and he kind of put some good stuff out. But but it stands out too when you look at the results. It's that now that it's the ballots less crowded, there was so much more room for those middle candidates to make huge gains, and in historic levels of jumps that we've seen now, uh, this and that's that's Helton who got really close to to getting election this year. That's Wagner up to 68%. That's Andrew Jones and Gary Sheffield. All those guys flying up to over 50%. Um, and also a decent debut for, for Beltron, who clearly, you know, we talked about, okay, was the cheating going to be treated the same way as other cheating, like steroids? And, of course, we see A-Rod and Manny still stuck down around 35%, but Beltron coming into 46% um, makes me feel like he'll be in decent shape to kind of rise as the stink of 2017 wears off. Um, but just cool to see Helton and Wagner and, and, and Jones and, and Sheffield kind of kind of move up, especially especially Helton, you know, basically a lock for next season, which which is cool. We can kind of anticipate that. And then and then Wagner, too, is, you know, within striking range, which is exciting. Rockies fans, you can book your hotels for Cooperstown <laughs> uh, 2024. Jordan, when you talk about cheating, here's a dumb thought I have. Uh, I think we need to figure out how many people in the Hall of Fame cheated on their spouses. And then whatever that number is, allow that number of cheaters. Other kinds of, of cheaters. So we have like the same mm-hmm. number of, of romantic and sports cheaters mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame. Again, balance. Same kind of thing as you were talking about. We want to have every position represented kind of the same, you know, proportion. We, we yeah. want to have, we extend that to cheating. It's totally. just like cheating on your spouse is worse than cheating on the game, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I think mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame... Needs to reflect that, Jordan. Uh, I am amped to see Billy Wagner get so close. He is my yes. pet uh, candidate here, and he sure. made it up to 68%. Let's wave goodbye to Jeff Kent, who mm-hmm. in his final year on the ballot t- topped out at 46.5%. Mm-hmm. Other um, other notable things, there are still uh, 19% of people are voting for Omar Vizquel. You should read the news. <laughs> That's a good way to put that. I think we have to talk about the one, the one vote getters, particularly uh, a couple of them. So we we talked when we did our ballot. We said, oh, uh, these are the guys that aren't going to get any votes, but you know we salute their great careers. You know Weaver and Matt Cain and El Ethi or whatever. And a couple of those that we included ended up getting one vote. Correct. Those players: Bronson Arroyo, R. A. Dickey, John Lackey, Mike Napoli, and Houston Street. Now, Jake, you tweeted something uh, yesterday. That said, I'm not the person that voted the one person that voted for Ari Dickey, but I wish I was. Well, Jake, do you know who the one person is that voted for Ari Dickey? Because it is the same person who voted for Houston Street, and it is also the only person who gave one vote to one of these players that had their a ballot public. And I am so excited to tell you who it was. 
because it is someone who we uh, sort of got to know during our time in MLB, and that is one T.R. Sullivan. T.R. Sullivan, yes. who covered the Rangers for over 30 years, which included R.A. Dickey, the first-round pick, who came up and struggled with the Rangers um, for, for many years before he wow. eventually figured out how to throw the best one of the best knuckleballs of all time. And Houston Street, of course. Why did he, why did he vote for Houston Street? Why? He's a Texan. <laughs> and so, so TR, now listen, some, a lot of these are the kind of ballots that people get super pissed at because TR is the kind of guy, no, he's not covering the game anymore, but around forever. And this is exactly, I just wanted to bring this up because TR is exactly the kind of guy who we would also be making fun of and be saying, you know, getting mad at the old girl. But having interacted with him while working at MLB and knowing how honestly revered he is in a, in a it, within beat writer yeah. circles, this is and listen. I understand if you're looking at this and be like, "Oh my god, he voted for these guys and not Beltron or not Abreu or not." And like, I get it. That's fine. I just am telling you, this made me smile. <laughs> so, so, and I just wanted to to salute Tr there. So ballots like this are like the way that we think about them is completely dependent on how like badass the people who get the favor votes are right like r.a dickie getting a vote fires me up and makes me happy like it who cares like it should piss you off the sanctity of cooperstown is not worth your scorn and your griping whereas if it was like johnny peralta i'd be like this is a travesty (laughs) how are we doing this right like it was matt kane but r.a dickie gets to die we talked about that and and you said like he would oh. be the one, right? Houston Street's a little goofier, but I, I, I just love that. And also, again, credit to TR because guess what? He's like, hey, on his on his blog, he's like, hey, here, I did it. I voted for him. What are you going to do about it? Fascinating and, ballot for TR. Voted for 10 guys. Wagner, Houston Street, Jimmy Rollins, Scott Rowland, A-Rod, no Manny. <laughs> A-Rod, no Manny. He added Helton this year. Mm-hmm. A-Rod, no Manny is great. Oh. That's so good, dude. I love it. Well, because hey, TR, TR watched A-Rod at that peak that we talked about. Right. And was like, oh, that's one of the best players I've ever seen. Kent, Andrew Jones, Torrey Hunter, Todd Helton, R.A. Dickey. Oh, it's an incredible ballot. That's, that's art. That's art. That's really T. good T-Art Sullivan is what T- that is. T-Art <laughs> Sullivan. People who voted for 10 players is like a great. Exactly. Voting for 10 players on this ballot is awesome. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I just wanted to, to salute that. Um, all right. Uh, that's our, our hall of fame chat. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll do it again next year. Hey, next year we got Beltre. I'm sure T.R. Sullivan will be excited to vote for him. Beltre, Joe Maurer will be an interesting one. Uh, Chase Utley and Bartolo. Bartolo is one who I'm not thinking is going to be a hall of famer, but I am very curious to see what kind of support he gets as far as a lovable cultural icon. Also, Cheated to PDs, right? We know that. Talk um, about a cheated on family and <laughs> on the about, game. Yeah, but uh, but Bartolo also, again, like undeniably for whatever reason. Wow. One of the Dude, I, guys, so. some of these ballots, I'm just scrolling through them now. Like the people who voted for nobody, Rob Parker, who voted mm. for only Gary Sheffield, <laughs> is an incredible <laughs> performance. Yeah, there's some, there's some goofy stuff. And that's the thing. Like, we are just going to laugh because I'm not... This is super not worth getting angry uh, about. One so. person voted for only Jimmy Rollins. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's funny. Yeah. One person it's voted amazing for the, the only K Rod. Just the K Rod only ballot is a crazy. Voting for nobody is nuts. Like I, right. Whatever, man. Uh, oh, in nine years, when we are allowed to vote, mm-hmm. 
it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to 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 like do this. Yeah, no, there's know? a lot of a lot of um, I, a lot of and projecting out who we're even talking about will be interesting. Right. I do think every year I will vote for ten. A very I've right decided. because very, yeah. The, my theory will be this: you vote for ten people because voting for ten people creates the most happiness in the world, right? <laughs> it 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 well. Like, why, well, yes. if you write for if you vote for the ten, the ten correct people, you're yeah, making yes. ten people and their families' days or lives better. Sure, sure. Versus sure. if you only vote for two, again, I don't care about the sanctity of the Hall of Fame. Right. No, I agree. Uh, we'll get David Wright next year. Joey Bats. Um, so we got some some interesting ones. And Doug I want Fister. you to hold me to that. Okay. I hope In ten uh, okay. years when I'm like. Sorry, Evan Longoria doesn't cut it for me on his sixth try on the ballot. I was going to say, the, the the specific Hall of Fame question that I, I've thought about for our us is, will Joey Votto still be on the ballot? And that will be determined by many other things, by when he finishes and how he finishes and whatever. So I think that'll be interesting. But okay, all right, all that, well, let's put our Hall of Fame stuff behind us. Um, thank you, uh, for, uh, enjoying enduring. If you, if you were tired of Hall of Fame stuff, sorry, we gave you as much as we did, but congrats to Scott Rowland. We now transition to a conversation with Pedro Mora about the Anaheim Angels. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And we are joined by someone who I would describe as my favorite person in the baseball industry and the moral compass of contemporary America and someone who knows a great deal about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Los Angeles Angels, Pedro Mora of Fox Sports. Hello, Pedro. Hello, my esteemed colleagues. Thank you for the, the grand introduction. Um, I only refer to them as the angels. Um, and so if you don't, you won't catch me saying uh, Los Angeles Angels any, well, anytime soon. That's a great place to start, actually, is where do the angels play? Anaheim, California, um, a, a perfectly pleasant city in Orange County, um, a good uh 35, 34 miles from Los Angeles, where I am currently. Um, the amount of people who reside in between, you know, Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium is amazing. Um, like, depending on, like, your your other parameters, you're talking about 10, 15 million people in that area mm -hmm. <laughs> in between the two communities. And so it's it's always funny to me um, to consider, like, it, it's it's – it's inconceivable that they would that you would refer to such a thing as um, as Los Angeles when there's just they're worlds away from each other. They're, to put yeah, it in, to put it into context for fellow East Coast elitists like me and Jordan, the distance between <clears throat> Angel Stadium and Dodger Stadium, I believe, is either the same or slightly further than the distance between Camden Yards and Nats Park. Mm -hmm. 
two, two See, very. But <laughs> I would say it's not just about the distance. It's also about the mass of people in between. I mean, that's a good example in terms of there are a couple million people or something like that in those two areas. But you are talking about the the, the largest metropolitan area. Like, and so as, as such, there's just millions and millions and millions of people in between the two spaces. It's not just the distance. Shouts out to Jessup. <laughs> but okay, so, <laughs> but with that in mind, uh, Pedro, we are bringing you here a Los Angeles native to talk about the team in Anaheim for some reason. So now that we've established that they do not play in Los Angeles, let's establish your credentials as someone who knows what they're talking about with the Angels, even though they are in a different city. Um, so tell us, uh, it, it kind of explain to us why, um, you know, your, your history kind of covering this team and why we are going to brought you on to ask you questions other than just the fact that you're our friend and colleague at Fox Sports. Yeah. Answer for yourself. I don't know why you brought me on. That's that's I can't speak to that. Uh, okay. I, I did cover the Angels um, as a first as a backup beat writer at the Orange County Register from 2013 to 2015 and then at the Los Angeles Times from 2016 and to 2017. Mm -hmm. And then also occasionally at the Athletic uh, for the beginning of 2018 when uh, a man we know as Shohei Otani arrived. Uh, so I um, I have not been covering them on a particularly close basis since then. Um but I do um, do make the trek across, you know, across um, down the mass of humanity yes. um, down to Anaheim during the season uh, but, a fair bit. And so, yes, yeah, that's that, those are my qualifications. But while you have not been around this team on a day to day basis in a number of years, uh, we believe that your perspective is relevant, relevant enough considering the topic today, which is that the Angels have announced Literally, the Angels Twitter account announced that owner uh, Artie Moreno is no longer interested in selling the team. Moreno has been there since 2003. It's funny to say that he's been there. Like he's owned he's owned that since mm -hmm. 2003. And very little has changed about the Angels uh, since then. A lot has changed and little has changed as well. But even less has changed since you got off the beat. They have not been to a postseason during that time. And they have not had a winning season during that time. And Moreno's announcement that he was going to stay uh, in charge was a shock to many and a disappointment to even more. So let's just start with this. When you saw the news that Artie Moreno was selling the team, what was your reaction? And when you saw a couple days ago that he wasn't, that he was like, LOL, JK, never mind, what was your reaction then? Okay. Uh, reaction upon learning the news. Um, it had been it had been rumored, you know, or discussed, maybe like lightly rumored for some time. You know, um, considered it. He's getting up there in age, and, and it, was, it was as well established that his children had not expressed an interest in owning the team. And so, even when I was on the beat, it was something that I had my eye on, maybe like you know a, a bit. Not it wasn't a front of mind thing, but it it, it wouldn't have been you know if you'd asked me like where would he rank in the in the top of the 30 owners in terms of likelihood to decide to sell the team i would have put him in the top 5 probably maybe mm. you know maybe top 10 in the upper in the upper third for sure um and so it didn't necessarily strike me as especially surprising especially considering how much valuations have gone up uh in recent years and um and he unlike um some other owners does not have as far as i'm aware is not you know um has, does not have the same amount of riches amassed through other means as as some of his peers. 
um, by all by all means a rich man <laughs> for certain, uh, but not anywhere near you know the Steve Cohens of the world and the Mark Walters in terms of how much wealth he has he established before his baseball time and and during in his separate businesses. Would you obviously describe owning him, a baseball team is enough though? To, would to you describe rich. him as yachtless? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't describe him as much le- as less much of anything. You know, you could basically put anything before less. And when you have billions of dollars and, you know, an actionable wealth, right. like, you I mean, you could, you could have whatever you want. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not aware of his yacht status. I'll put it that way. Yacht uncertain, but yeah. <laughs> yacht uncertain, but to your point, the sure, maybe he doesn't have his, point 72 or whatever the hell the Steve Cohen thing is called where we're just raking in billions every year and I know he got into it through through billboards right that was his mm-hmm. his uh his big thing but but all of that is essentially irrelevant when you remember that he bought the team for under 200 million for 185 and yeah and for now 185 it's worth million a billion at least yeah and the reporting over the last week is that there were multiple bids of at least 2 billion not 2.5 if not whatever and so that alone, you'd say, well, okay, well, you sell that, you're, you're a billionaire, you're a billionaire many times over, and this is a guy, as you mentioned, up in age. So, so then we get to the point where, so once we hear, okay, he's selling, was there a point where you were like, I don't believe him? No, <laughs> okay. absolutely not. No, okay. no. And so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that surprised by the decision to sell because, okay. um, you know, the, the, you can't use the money when you're dead. Yep. Um, and so it's, you know, useful to have the money before you die. Um, so I thought, wow, oh, that, yeah, life advice. makes sense. <laughs> right. So, so um, then, I mean, then suddenly, so I hear at least, you know, I don't know. Some people cl- seem clearly seem to believe that you can in fact use the money when you're dead <laughs> sure, or maybe sure. prolong death. Sure. Hmm. That, Shouts uh, out to Ted Williams, fan of the show. <laughs> also, also a good point, but okay. So then fast forward to then, or there a couple of days ago, we see, oh, wait, oh, just kidding. So what, you know, we're going to get more reporting on this, at least to some degree. I mean, he's not someone that has spoken publicly to the media in years, I understand. Mm-hmm. So we probably aren't going to get that much more beyond the statement that was point out, point, uh, you know, put out by the Angels. So how surprised were you when you see, up? Oh, just kidding, we're, we're, we're turning it, going the other way. And, and as he uh, described it in one of his short statements, unfinished business. So what, what do you think, what do you think happened here? I, I was I was quite surprised. Um, I, I suppose my mind in the in the hours after went to two possibilities. Um, one that he did not receive offers of uh, that he deemed commensurate to the worth of the team. Um, and so there's really no report like no no reporting would necessarily undo that perception. I mean, you know, he he might have had he might have think thought he can get 3.5 billion or whatever, you know, any number that he is offered, you could argue he might have thought he would get more. And so I think putting the team, you know, naming the team Los Angeles, um, signing the TV deal that they that he did and, and watching what's happened to the rest of the valuations. I think there's, you know, there was ample reason to believe the team was going to, to command quite a bit of money. And so that that's my fir- that was my first thought was, OK, uh, he, he thought he was going to get more. Um, I mean, you know, thinking you're going to get more than two and a half, three billion dollars. That's obviously, you know, a lot. So I, I don't know. That seems seems not overwhelmingly plausible, but possible. You know, I don't think billionaires are are generally known as the most in touch with you know reality people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thought was, wow, that he's really convinced uh, by what the team has done this off season, and actually believes that they will produce uh, a good enough season in 2023 that either it'll make the team more valuable or it'll make in, uh, owning the team more enjoyable and more fruitful for him. Um, 
And, you know, that seems plausible enough, I guess. I mean, you, 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 you'd like to think that people get into this business of owning a baseball team because they want to win. Uh, also to make money, of course, chi- chiefly, but to win too. And, you know, in my two years on, on the beat and interacting with Moreno and in the years around those years, as I, as I observed him and whatnot, it, it was very, very clear to me that this man like went into to, to spring trainings pretty confident the team was going to win. I mean, pretty, pretty confident. Like there, there were times, you know, that uh, it was it was very clear, you know, that the rest of the industry thought this was a 78 win team and the Angels top people thought this was a 91 team. You know, spoiler alert, the rest of the industry was right. Um, Every year but, for seven yeah. years in a row. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I mean, people got to believe, I guess, like it's 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 <laughs> you got to believe that yeah. is and something so, that has been said about the Angels. Artie Moreno's entire strategy is the scene in Angels in the Outfield where people stand up and flap their arms and think that it'll create a win. Well, it's also, I mean, yeah. Hope, man. Positivity, right? Positive Mm -hmm. mental attitude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, though, uh, when you're talking about this, this offseason that we just saw, right, Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about what it could have been that has, has sold them because in the past, um, even before they, they were, you know, pools, there was a year, like they won, what is it? 98 games in, in 2014 or whatever. It was. They were that good was in 2014. They were yeah, dominant. They were yeah. really good. And, and that's the other thing you, you, you were covering them when there was a good version of the team, but then you had just these kind of a little bit before that. And after that is these big splashy signings. Otani is different because he picked them, but beyond that, you know, the, the big free agent signings and the Rendones or whatever. And this and the was one not year that. pitching deals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This this was not that. This offseason was not that. It was kind of this amalgamation of shorter term deals, of kind of floor raisers. We're not adding any depth really, but it's just like we just need as many competent players as possible to put around, you know, Trout and Otani. So it's not like a different strategy. Deal, um, every single deal the Angels made this offseason made you go, hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. well, well, and for me, I, the way I've kept describing it is it, it's like this goofy version when I thought that he was selling this goofy version of the last dance where it's like, Otani's out of here, but we got him for one more year and let's just put a bunch of, you know, two win players around him and hope for the best. And after that, we'll all go off in free agency and Otani will leave and Trout will still be here. And then we'll maybe we'll just totally rebuild with a new owner and a new GM and a new manager. And that's what I thought we were heading towards. But now I don't know what we're heading towards. <laughs> and so so that's why I'm most perplexed by this uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say, it, it, it's hilarious to me that just the degree of, of these, like, as Jake said, the players that they acquired were generally good last season. And, are, you know, generally project to be pretty solid this season. You know, Gio Arcello, you look, he was better than I realized last year. Yeah. I mean, basically across the board, the players were like, Pretty solid that they yeah. added. Do I expect them to be quite as good in 2023? Uh, probably not. I would, you know, generally take the under on like a, a repetition of their 2022 war of the additions. Probably like by a good. I would feel pretty confident banging the under on that. But um, it's funny to me that like someone could decide not to sell an asset for 2.5 billion dollars based on the additions of such anonymous men, you know, worldwide as Hunter right. Renfro, Gio Urshela. Tyler Anderson, Brandon Drury. I mean, these are not, you know, these, no one, you know, well, Carlos in Los Angeles knows who these human beings are. Like, do you, like, not a single soul. Like, Hunter Renfro could be walking down my street in front of me 
right now, and no one would know that he was here. And he's a good, I mean, unless they confuse him for Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike Trout, right. Uh, that was what it, I was going to say. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's just, um, I find that, like, if that is indeed what hinged it, it's 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 funny to me uh, mm-hmm. that it, it, although it could work out, you know, this is also again the best offseason I've seen them have in several several years. That's it, the thing, and so I, it, it's not it's not in itself bad. I would say it's kind of the same thing they've been doing, just better. It's it's been short term additions consistently, um, but these are better ones. These are ones less likely to blow up uh, mm-hmm. and more likely to be productive, reasonably productive, not totally. incredibly productive, you know, but but reasonably so. And so to that point, like, that's the thing. I Even I, who has been, you know, slamming the under on the Angels for five straight years, is is I'm like, I can see this team being pretty good. But again, we're not building. Like, I don't know what they're building towards. And so we have, that's the I part just, that I'm most perplexed by. Go ahead, Jake. I'm just laughing so hard, right? Because this Angels offseason, you're seeing every move. And every move, you're like, Tyler Anderson. Oh, oh, Hunter Renfro. Oh, Brandon Juria. Right? Each one, you're like, oh, that's not bad. But then Artie Moreno, like, overreacts to that in a hilarious <laughs> way, right? Like, the baseball world is finally agreeing to kind of buy in on maybe the Angels being somewhat competent, right? And then Artie Moreno's like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> like, 2.5 bill? Who needs it? We're rhyming with Hunter Renfro, baby. Right. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's it's quite quite a thing to witness, and and I know it's it's probably a little unfair to ask you to speculate too much on Perry and Phil Nevin because I know you're not covering the team on a daily basis and haven't been as plugged into this this latest regime. But that's the other part of this that it's so weird because with with ownership, what we thought was moving out is it felt like Perry and Nevin. And I know Nevin got his his one year extension just to kind of keep everything together for some reason. Not that he, I mean, maybe. They all love him. Like, I, I don't know, but <laughs> that seemed like a weird one to like, you know, really put your put your your one last good chance to be a good team with Otani behind. But that's fine. Uh, but I it, what is your sense of the best that you can kind of give us for for where it leaves that group and particularly uh, Perry Manassian? Um, I think it just matters if they win or not. You know, I yeah. don't think Artie Moreno is in the business of, of judging uh, on the process. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> he's a, he's a results based operator right, for sure. And uh, so it just matters if they win or not. It, it, I mean, no one knows if that's going to happen. I mean, like you know, any any outcome between seventy two and and ninety two wins would 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 totally not surprise me this season. Sense. So yeah. based on injuries to players and whatnot. So yeah. if they win ninety two, I expect both those guys will be back. Right. Right. And what one other Moreno question that I think is important is for, for people, for maybe casual fans who are kind of late to this story or kind of starting to catch up on Moreno and whatever, is something that you'll often read in these stories is references to him being really cheap or being really XYZ. And the casual fan will pull up and be like, well, what do you mean? They have a $200 million payroll. And I've seen them spend big on free agents. And I've seen them, you know, go big for this guy and this guy and, and give Trout a $400 million extension. And, you know, we have seen him spend money here and they're not in the, there are plenty of other markets, right? We've talked a little bit about the, the Orioles and certainly seems like the Reds at the bottom where it's like, oh, wow, like we're really not spending money. The Pirates, right? Like stuff like that. This is a very different kind of thing. So for someone who doesn't totally understand and just looks at the $200 million payroll and is like, well, what is this? What, what do you mean he's cheap? What is What do you think that is about? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a nuanced question because he's not cheap relative to his peers who are, you know, many of them are in a race to the bottom, right? He's done better than that for sure. For sure. Um, it's more that, 
when you get to be like an 80 something projected win team, that's when that's when adding another 10 to 20 million dollars of payroll is most valuable. Right. That's the, the, the spot in your contention window where it makes most sense to add. And repeatedly in that window, he's opted against adding, you know, for fear of, of exceeding the uh, the collective uh, the, the, the luxury tax. And so it um, it's a frustrating position, it sounds like, for fans to be in where they've often gone into, se- gone into seasons thinking they're, they're just, a, you know, a few wins away from being over the hump and, and not doing it um, to save a little bit of cash relative to the grand scheme of, of where they've spent. Uh, and so they, you know, they haven't ranked in the top five in payroll. And I'm not aware of, it's been a while and we could pull it up right here, but it's, it's, you know, it's been, it's been basically consistently right outside that top, uh, the top tier of, of, of spending. Mm-hmm. And so it, um, and you know, the, the, the ways it's like, he's not, he has not been cheap on the big signings, um, between Pujols, Rendon, Hamilton, Wilson. Um, I'm probably forgetting someone else, but th- I mean, those four are pretty substantial. But he has been in terms of um, uh, the short term, like the, the the deals to to round out the rest of the roster. When you look at the one year deals they've made for starting pitchers in recent years, you know, there have been other pitchers who signed significantly better pitchers who signed uh, for slightly more money. Um, and he opted against. I mean, yeah. well, we Syndergaard just was a good example when like Rodon yeah. was available at a similar um, at a similar mm-hmm. price point, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just uh, they kind of opt. They you know the evidence shows that they've opted against the against competing it for the top tier of uh, of uh, like the the how do I put this for the outside of the outside of the biggest window of outside of the biggest realm of free agents they've they've opted against uh, competing for maybe like good uh good players in free agency but what's weird about it to me right is i take a look at some of the other payrolls around the game and they're currently projected to run a higher payroll than the red Sox, the braves the astros the cardinals some of these teams that in our mind we think about as (laughs) spending money on free agents right or spending money on on extensions and i would imagine that like for fans of the reds there is a a bizarre backwardness to this of like, they can't think they can't see the angels as cheap. Yeah. I totally get that. They cannot see the angels as cheap. And so what is interesting about Moreno to me is that he is generally considered a capital B capital O bad owner, but he is considered a bad owner in a way that is different, Mm -hmm. genuinely different than I think most of the other bad owners in the sport. Is that fair? I think I think totally. Yeah, there's not really another um, another position like this where the team has consistently been in the upper third of, of spending, but never in the uh, you know the upper sixth, never at the top. You know, and they're not going to be as long right. as he as he owns the team. I feel very confident in proclaiming that. You know, they they did go up this year. This is the first two hundred million dollar payroll they've run. Um, and I you know I I don't know if I would project it to continue. Although the, the threshold has obviously gone up, I think they're pretty yeah. much hewing to to staying under that threshold, and they have mm-hmm. been for a long time. And so I, it, it, I can totally understand the premise that if you're a fan who's, you know, who's frustrated at the nuttings or Castellini's at, at what they're at the nothing they're doing and the and the 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 complaining they're doing in the media, like I, I totally get it. Um, you know, Moreno doesn't speak to the pub to the press. He uh, he spends to a you know a moderate to, to fairly significant amount. Uh, the team is like has like at least a modicum of hope at the start of each season. Um, Right. I mean, like, I yeah. think in general, it seems that way. Like, when's the last time you went into the year? Like, I mean, as long I think you could probably say, if you have Mike Trout on the roster, like, you can maybe dream. 
Yeah. Um, but so it, it's, it's, yeah, compared to the Dodgers fans in this area, I think they're, you know, Angels fans consider themselves tortured and understandably so. But cons- compared to their, you know, the rest of the sport, yeah, probably, probably not. If you put like a tortured fan index, like I don't, I don't know. I don't know how. It's, how bad and they it's would weird rank. because they're more irked than tortured. <laughs> but, but yeah. also, um, yeah. And I remember doing like a, a poll about this. We had, this is remember after the 2021 season, I think just basically like, right. Would you rather be a fan of a more of a mid-market team like Minnesota or something who had just the horrific 2021 compared to the angels where it's like, we have crown an Otani and we still suck. Like what? <laughs> like, it's like there's different ways that you can have a disappointing and maddening season. And we got all kinds of different uh, answers to that from fans, which I thought was interesting. But to Jake's point, like when we talk about bad owners, like they're the only, they have the longest losing season streak in the league, right? They have lost <laughs> more than, and that's with every Otani season and all the trout seasons. And all those small market teams have won more recently than the angels. Every single one of them, <laughs> right? Like even the Marlins <laughs> finished above 520, 20, you know, in, in ways like that, that, that is what is so staggering. And so to that point, we, we do have to kind of, I think we should probably finish with Otani in my opinion, because it's well, still I have one more. but you, you, you go, you go first and then, then we can circle back to Otani. I have a dumb question for you, Pedro. Mm-hmm. Bob Nutting, the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, for Artie Moreno, owner of the Los Angeles Angels, which fan base says no? A trade. Both. One for one. Both. Both you think say they no, both think. say no? Both well, no. the, fan I guess bases the, would be I, happy I, with the status quo. Is what, <laughs> but the both Angels yes. fan base... Mm, uh, no well mm. see it's it's this we, we sort of discussed this a little bit off the air before and like to me it's just hard to imagine what payroll moreno would be running if he was in pittsburgh like it might just be the exact same thing yeah like, wait, wait okay a couple things i want to say to that yeah <laughs> I, it, upon further reflection pittsburgh fans definitely say yes i feel, I, I i take that back that's 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 not up for debate really that seems that seems pretty clear they're just okay. it's just more dollars and they're gonna be like oh yeah that i mean yeah, it's it's sure how could you get much worse than than what bob nutting is investing in in the pirates of late right, correct seems right. seems hard to imagine there's if yeah if there's a slight chance of it improving um the other thing I would say is the Angels play in Southern California, a very large media market. The television market here is the largest, I do believe. Um, they have a, a sizable television deal. They claim to be in Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> there's there are a lot of benefits that come from this. You know, it, it it's not that different. You know, in covering the the Hall of Fame and Scott Rowland um, being inducted this week, it uh, I, I was I was reading into more, and I, I I knew about this a little bit as a fan as a as a young baseball fan, but. Uh, but how, I, I was reading about Roland's exit from Philadelphia and uh, his complaints about the um, he was very open toward as he approached free agency about Philadelphia not spending commensurate to where they should have as a market size. Um, and the team was very open about uh, about critiquing him in response. You know, they held like a press conference on the eve of his um, his last season in Philadelphia, where they essentially just stake their claims in front of reporters. And, um, you know, at the time they were running payrolls in the in the 20s uh, of the 30 teams I, I believe the, the Phillies were and they were saying you know Edway the GM at the time was saying consistently that they could not support a larger um that, that Philadelphia could not support a larger investment um and Roland was like no you can um you know I, I don't want to commit they offered him or were prepared to offer him you know a contract worth 140 million dollars which he effectively turned down he said I don't want to negotiate with you and uh you know he made significantly less than that for his entire career 
um, Roland did. He turned down a fair amount of money to not play in Philadelphia because he did not trust that the team would remain, that, that the ownership would remain invested. You know, we now look at Philadelphia as a big market behemoth, right? They they spend as much as about anyone does. Uh, you know, they're in the top five and they're, they project to be for the foreseeable future. And I would argue that that nothing has really changed in terms of the debt, like the not they if they can spend that now, they could have spent that in 2002 or they were, you know, when the stadium opened in 2004, they could have they were they should have been ready to spend commensurate to that level. And it kind of reminds me like, you know, I wonder what would have happened, you know, had Trout demanded such a thing uh, a few years back or at any point really as he approached his free agency or before he signed his second extension. And I think just because the Angels are spending, you know, something close to two hundred million dollars does not mean that they should not be spending more. Right. And um, they are in a massive market. They claim again, they claim to be in Los Angeles. There's there's 20 million people that live in this in this metropolitan area, something along those lines. They can spend more. Um, and, you know, Pittsburgh, obviously, basically every MLB team could be spending more. You know, they're, 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 a lot of these guys are turning profits. Uh, Pittsburgh should obviously be spending more. Um, the Pittsburgh market size does not s- support spending the same amount as the Los as, as the Los Angeles area market size does, right? I mean, I think we so it's um, you know what what that multiplier should be. I don't know, but um, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that, like in an ideal world, the Angels are are investing. Uh, uh, you know, they 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 claim they sold three million plus tickets for you know over a decade in a row, I believe. Um, you know, they have that big television deal. They can invest more. Yeah. And I think I'm so glad you mentioned that that Phillies anecdote because there were some similar clips going around recently of Padres ownership and front office types like 10 years ago on the radio being like, yeah, sorry, we can't, not happening, not in San Diego. This is not possible in San Diego. And (laughs) the reality is that either one takes just the right owner and the right sequence or they're straight up lying to you, right? It's some combination of both. Um, and I can't speak to the specifics of the Padres and how what was feasible for them to be spending uh, 15 years ago compared to now, but same kind of sentiment in my opinion. And what I think is is is, is pretty convincing, as you just see, is it just takes the right. Guy. I mean, again, the Mets, right? Mets were in New York; they could have been spending way more the whole time, and they just didn't. And then then the right guy came in, and they did. So I think that's a I think that's a good way to put it. Um, let's finish with Otani because I think that's what most people want to think about. I mean, this doesn't have to be a long, uh, really answer a question here, but you know, he's going to be free agent next, next off season, of course. And it seems like he's already getting close to fed up. And obviously he has more incentive than anyone ever to get to free agency. Uh, do you think this, uh, changes anything about that? Um, I think it probably decreases the likelihood that he resigns simply because a, a new owner would represent something of a wild card. Um, you know, you could not, we know now, we know Moreno's history in investing, investing, and we know he, um, he will, he has been willing to invest uh, huge funds in star players, but while, while paying them has not been willing to support, um, uh, to, to build a roster around them that supports a playoff contender. And we know that he has uh, two massive contracts already on the docket for the next uh, several seasons in Rendon and Trout. And we know that adding Otani, you know, at $45 million or $40 million a year annually to that mix will, you know, that's essentially half the payroll of those three players combined right. um, between Otani, Rendon, and um, and Trout. And so is um, is Otani, and, and there's there's already other commitments on the table too for 2024. It's not it's not just those three. I'm just saying, you know, from a very simple perspective, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's half of what they're going to spend. Um, 
And so does Otani want to be in a position where, you know, he's, he's observed this now for five years. He understands, he's, he understands how this organization operates is it has operated under Moreno. Does he want to bet on the team being good enough to contend, mm-hmm. um, you know, while, while being short staffed or, 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 or limited in what they can spend around their superstars? My, my guess would be no, not when there are other organizations that, that have been proven that have, have proven they are interested and willing to exceed the tax, to spend more, to, 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 to build better rosters, to have more depth, all those things. Otani yeah. picking them in the first place was shocking, but understandable. Otani picking them again would be downright astonishing after yep. he has seen the way that this franchise works. And And to that point, I think... Everything you just said, I, I agree with. I'm most interested in the fact that Artie would opt back into this situation, which is now his fault, because it looked like he was going to get out and it maybe wasn't going to be his problem. He could have sold and said, or he could, you know, maybe he said, I, I refuse to let you trade him in 2022, but like, I'm out of here. Have fun figuring this out, because that would have been a big challenge for whoever was going to come in, no matter what. Right, because yeah. sure, maybe a new owner could have convinced Otani, "Hey, we're going to build this up." This is still a team and roster and farm system that it isn't exactly anywhere close to contending anywhere close, even if they were good in twenty twenty three. Right, so Whoa. that's the part of it that I'm most intrigued by is the fact that Artie would opt into a situation that is not going to be easy for him to manage, even if he is willing to go ahead and spend on Otani too. Mm-hmm. So. What about what about this though? Is it possible that he is underestimating the difficulty in extending Shohei Otani, considering that he has convinced the best player in, in baseball this century to to play to sign there twice long term, despite think, never contending in, in seven seasons? Is it yeah. possible that he thinks, you know, a large amount of money will convince the man to stay in the mm-hmm. city? I mean, it worked for Mike Trout. Yeah. Right? It yeah. worked for Mike Trout. And and I, I that's the thing, is I think I wouldn't be surprised if he does. Or is it possible? Sorry, is it possible that we're overestimating Otani's desire to leave when when handed, you know, when offered a large amount of money to? I mean, right, right. Because again, like Trout, you could say, well, any any team would have given you this money, Trout, if you wait a year or two, so or whatever. So, all that said, I think that's that's fair. Yeah. My prediction and my read on it, with zero uh, additional insight to the common person, and that's why you listen to the show, uh, is why doesn't already just sell at the end of the year. Like if you go along the lines of Jordan's last dance theory, this mm. is it. If Otani's going to leave, maybe it already is intelligent enough to just understand that Otani's going to leave. Why would you want to sell now before one last chance? How much is the value of the, of the franchise going to decrease with Otani gone? Probably a significant amount, yeah. but not, not billions. Not billions yeah. I don't know. That's, amount, that's, right? that's like, a good question. I have no I sense am, for I, that. I, for me, I think what's certainly possible is Moreno is saying, let's do it for one more year and we'll reopen exploring it after the season. One last shot, one more ride. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no real reason to expect that he's going to own the team for another decade or 20 years. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't follow from this week's events whatsoever. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if it's one year, yeah, I mean, theoretically, yeah. I mean, the one, the one thing you'd wonder is like, will, you know, would, would his uh, pull, putting them on the market and pulling them back harm the degree to which other, you know, potential ownership groups, you know, proceeded uh, during another bidding process. If, if, yeah. uh, if it came to that, especially so soon, that's, I mean, you know, I have no idea what that, if that would actually, you know, you know, how that would affect it, but you could imagine that somebody would, you know, have some reticence to, to put themselves out there if the owner was going to take them, you know, if he feared that the ownership was going to take it back. 
Pedro, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on our show. Is there anything that you would like to plug, whether your work or not, or an album you're, you like, or a nice meal you had, or a thing people should go do? Uh, oh, wow. Um, I didn't know I had this privilege. Um, an album I Drop like. Drop some Rex. Yeah. Um, um, let's see here. I, um, man, there's, let me, there's let a me lot. ask you in a different way. What's given you joy in the last week? Um, there's this band. Um, it, it was once a band and now it's just a guy. Um, they go by the name Young Jesus. Um, they're pretty great. Uh, he's pretty great. Um, he, uh, he, he plays some shows in LA. He's uh, he's a Chicago native. I really, I really recommend it. Uh, both the, the work as the band. Um, and then just the dude, just dude and out. Um, he, uh, I saw him last night perform and he was great. So that's, that gave me joy. Um, yeah. Uh, in go. terms of plugs, I, I published a, a book, um, 10 months ago. Uh, it was called, it is called is a thing still it's called how to beat a broken game um it was published uh march 29th uh, opening day basically last year it's about mostly the dodgers but if you're you know there's there's some angel stuff in there a little bit um and uh i would i would love it if you read it um and yeah that that would be great that's available anywhere you can uh, find books read pedro's book check out young jesus Thank you, Pedro Mora. I, I have done one of those two things, and I enjoyed Pedro's book, and so I am searching <laughs> Young Jesus on YouTube as we speak. Thank you, Pedro. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman, Pedro Mora. He's gone, but you should read his work at Fox Sports. He is truly a delightful person from whom I have learned quite a bit about this industry and the world at large. Let's fly through a couple transaction moves before we tell Mike Clevenger to go fuck himself and do a quick dead ball Mad Libs. The Boston Red Sox, who lost Trevor's story to a notable injury a couple weeks ago, have acquired Adalberto Mondesi from the Kansas City Royals in the... Uh, corresponding move was a dfa of matt barnes what yeah would you like the, to start with there well quickly the, the DFA, that was a corresponding to signing out duval but two moves that the red sox made at the same time um i think it's funny to have a player go down injured and be like who should replace this injured player how about one of the most injured players, <laughs> Adalberto Mondesi, who is just like completely been a, for for a young uh, athletic gentleman as such as himself. I mean, I would call him like the poor man's version, shortstop version of Byron Buxton. Obviously, the upside. I mean, uh, the hype in its at some points was at least somewhat comparable. Obviously, he's never put up a season anywhere close to to what Buxton is. But in terms of raw physical tools, and when you watch him, you're like, holy shit! If this dude could just stay on the field, he's right up there, man. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. Super fun defender. I mean, never takes a walk ever, but that's also part of what makes him fun. So this is a clear upside play here. But again, the dude's barely played over the last multiple years. Still just 27, but this is a, this is an interesting one. He's played in 50 games over the last two seasons combined. All right. You know what this sounds like, Jordan? It sounds like a man who doesn't like drinking water and touches his toes. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean it's it's pretty bold. And again, we we do know that they are planning on playing Kike at short. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess Mondesi is is who they hope to be at second base, um, which is which is pretty wild, uh, but also also a fun gamble. I mean, if this one pays off, I mean that could be that could be really something. I, they didn't give up give up too much for him there. I mean, Josh Taylor was a good reliever for them last year, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting interesting little swing here. And and I remember, man, we saw Mondesi when he was you know seventeen in the Sally League, and I mean he he was a big deal. But um, I don't know. I would love to see him figure it out. It's it's a nice little little risky move. Nothing like a man who has his own name tattooed on himself. We love to see that. Uh, the another uh, huge American League East news: the Tampa Bay Rays extend Jeffrey Springs. When this happened yesterday, Jordan, you and I received a text from a uh, professional baseball player who said, "Who the hell is Jeffrey Springs?" Well, Jeffrey Springs is, I would honestly say, one of the more incredible developmental stories over the last few years in baseball. 30th round pick, 30th round doesn't exist anymore. This is the kind of guy, he came up with the Rangers and it was like pretty good his first year, really bad his second year. He was, speaking of the Red Sox, he was a main character in the 2020 Red Sox tank job as he was just being thrown out there to essentially just give up absolute nukes uh, in September of 2020 with an ERA over seven. And it's like, oh, Jeffrey Springs, all right, well, have a good career, see you later. He ends up on the Rays, and then over the last two years, He's got a freaking 2.7 ERA in 180 innings, a lot of starts uh, in 2022. And while the stuff is not like overwhelming in the way that some of their random relievers sometimes show up and you're like, holy shit, like where's this guy been? Dude just gets outs. Um, and I, it's kind of a weird extension, but you can imagine a 30th round pick uh, will happily take an extension of this of this sort. Um, so yeah, I believe in, in Jeffrey Springs, uh, the pitcher. I don't particularly appreciate Jeffrey Springs. The I will not wear the pride flag. Uh, uh, he was one of those raised pitchers. Oh, he so, was on that crew. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh. shout him out for that one, uh, which is... Uh, is that reason. a shout out? That's a shout out. That's a call out, I think is probably what we call yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> a call out for, for why we will not be uh, especially supportive of Jeffrey Springs. I just want to be clear, Jordan, that like you weren't saying, yo, shout out to Jeffrey Springs. Yeah, no, for this like is, I'm going out of my way to remind people of this. Um, he's a very good pitcher. Obviously that was a, a extremely disappointing decision to make that him and several other race pitchers made. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's good. And again, like for a 30th round pick, you can understand why he would take an extension <laughs> for any reason. So, uh, moving out West, Jesus Aguilar signing with the Oakland A's. He's either going to make the all-star team or never play a game for them. I, I mean, yeah, him getting a three-year or three million dollar guaranteed major league deal is fuck yeah, kind of stunning. But I have to think it goes a long way towards being like, who can have, who can lighten the mood around this dump? <laughs> like, and if anyone can do it, it's Jesus Aguilar. So you just um, need a vibe guy in that clubhouse. And Jordan, in the same way where it's like, dang, I really am bummed out to see what Jeffrey Springs does with all his money. I hope I'm really. Happy to see what Jesus Aguilar does with all of his money. Great point. And I would also like to congratulate Rule 5 pick Ryan Noda, who surely will not have to face uh, any left-handed pitching now. So congrats to him. That should really help the OPS in his rookie season. Um, and Aguilar, you know, oh, good vibes, good vibes only. Uh, the, the last just quick move is the Twins traded for Michael A. Taylor. This is only interesting to me because um, now they have even more outfielders and I know Michael A. Taylor isn't necessarily someone who should be starting every day, 
but great Buxton injury insurance. And does this mean the Twins will be making another trade at some point? Uh, maybe. I think the Twins are, are one of the more interesting teams to continue to watch before opening day. Michael A. Taylor, who perpetually looks 15 years old. It is incredible. <laughs> he has gone backward as he's aged. Uh, last bit of news here. He mentioned it briefly. Mike Clevenger under investigation by MLB after domestic violence allegations. The details of this are incredibly disturbing. We're not going to dive into the specifics here. If you want to read more about it, The Athletic article from uh, Brittany Giroli and Katie Strang has all of that horribleness. The upshot here is that, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say like people knew, but there was just like an understanding that this was a bad person mm. in baseball mm-hmm. uh, it, within the game. And to see something like this is obviously disappointing, but not particularly surprising. And then the other thing I'll say is this is a really bad look for the White Sox, who it, it appears this investigation was open when they signed him. And maybe there's some legal rules involved that I don't know about or understand. But if you're the White Sox, do you just send in a text to MLB and be like, hey, we're going to guarantee this guy $8 million. Like, is there an open investigation on him? That yeah, I, I, I would love to understand how exactly stuff like that goes about and and wh- how behind the scenes those investigations are happening on players and whatnot before it ends up in the media and whatnot. So whatever, it's really disturbing. And obviously every one of these stories that comes up is extremely upsetting. And and yeah, it's 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 uh, <laughs> we just have to hope that MLB continues to investigate them to, to the fullest and 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 it becomes something that is is not a part of <laughs> our regular discourse in Major League Baseball. But yeah. Unfortunately, it, it probably still will, um, which is disappointing. So obviously that is bad, horrible news, and uh, we hope that it is it is treated uh, accordingly. All right, Jake, uh, let's finish off with uh, some, some, some better vibes here. Let's do a quick round of dead ball Mad Libs. I know last time when we did this on Pinch Thomas, it went a little bit longer than we normally expected, but you know what? I had a blast, and I would I love doing these. So you've, present, you've brought us another one, and so uh, let's do it. Don't ever give me the number 23, Jordan. You know what that means. All right. Today <laughs> we're gonna... We learned a lot about the number 23 after our Pitch Thomas segment. So who are we talking about today? Today we're talking about a gentleman by the name of Dutch Leonard, mm. who pitched from 1913 to 1925. And I'm just going to dive right in. This is from the Sabre page. A hard-throwing, spectacularly talented left-hander who posted the best single-season earn run average in American League history. Apparently. What year? 1914, 1914. Oh my goodness. Was also one of the era's most controversial figures at nearly every stop along his journey in professional baseball. He feuded with management over salary and at one point was even suspended for three years for? Suspended for three years? For? Oh my God. Um, I'm going to say for like getting into a fight with a fan. For refusing to report to work. Is what it says. And my <laughs> argument would be like, that's not suspension. That's not playing. Also, it's like, you're not going to show up to work as punishment. Don't show up to work. He's like, all right. <laughs> you can't good. fire me. Three years, though. It's Love like, it. that's, that is wild. Okay. As a pitcher, he was gutless. Hall of Fame umpire Billy Evans once declared. We umpires had no respect for him. He whined on every pitch called against him. After exiting the game in 1925, Leonard touched off one of the biggest scandals in baseball history when he accused Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker of... 
Oh. Accused them of of gambling on baseball. Correct. Now, the other answer you would you would hope would be uh, overt racism. <laughs> yeah, uh, but based on the first part of the sentence, I'm not sure that would have worked. Okay, yeah. Right. Conspiring to throw a baseball game in 1919. Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis dismissed the charges and Leonard retired to his California ranch where he earned millions of dollars. Millions! Millions in 19... 19- what? That's millions so of dollars. Money. Blanking blanks. Selling... Vegetables. <laughs> oh, is he Castellini? No, he earned millions of dollars growing grapes. Okay. All right. So like this is like vineyard kind of shit. Yeah, he's a big vineyard guy. He's okay. like, you know what? I'm out. I'm going to go. Dude, millions is like millions. that. Millions then or millions now? I mean, that's millions really then, dude. Holy crap. All right. Born 1892 in Ohio. Uh, he gravitated towards baseball in 1911. He was nicknamed Dutch during his childhood because he he uh, double double Dutch double Dutch. He played right, isn't that what we call like uh, like uh, jump rope, skip rope, right? Double Dutch. Nah, he no, he that's he named him Dutch because he quote looked like a Dutchman. <laughs> what? So specifically, he looked like he was from from the Antwerp. <laughs> that, that's what it says, Jordan. Okay. Interesting. Also, do you know that Antwerp is in Belgium? Just want to make that. Oh, you know. Sorry, yeah. I know. I'm. I, I was. I, as soon as I said Antwerp, I was like, damn it! I mixed up my Netherlands and Belgium again. Rotterdam. Horrible. Uh, he gets found by the Philadelphia A's, 1911. Next year, ends up what? I was just gonna say, in my defense, do you think the people in the 1890s could tell the difference between Belgium and Netherlands? Right. If you're calling a guy <laughs> Dutch because he looks like a Dutchman, you're probably not the most sensitive to European geopolitics. Uh, sorry. Anyway. The following year, uh, 1911, the A's sign in. The following year, he joins the Red Sox for spring training, but developed a blank blank and failed to make the team. Developed like just some sort of horrible rash. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> leprosy no uh he developed a lame arm okay yeah did you know. I, yeah all right sounds about uh right. he gets sent to denver where he overcame a mid-season suspension for mm. fighting insubordination is insubordination he didn't show up to work classic show up to work can't fire me i quit uh you know relied on a classic combination of fastball curve blah 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 <laughs> was one of the pitchers who was grandfathered into the spitball after it became banned in 1920. But the notable thing here is the 1914 campaign, which was cut short by a wrist injury in early September. But in the 36 game he pitched, he posted an astounding 0.96 ERA, the lowest mark still in the 20th century, the second best all time behind Tim Keefe's 0.86 recorded for the 1880 Troy Haymakers. So this is still a very impressive thing. Uh, but my favorite part is this sentence. Bef- because the season was curtailed by injury, he failed to reach many of the milestones that were notable at the time, including winning 20 games. Okay. Mm-hmm. No one at the time really cared about ERA, and he did not lead the league in any other major pitching category. For this reason, his performance went unheralded in the press. Even Leonard himself regarded his work that year as incomplete. He once said, quote, if I hadn't broken my wrist, I think I would have done very well that year. Oh my God. That is, that is incredible. But again, like that's, that is so disappointing that they couldn't recognize the history that they were watching. Um, this guy allowed like 
tw- he threw like 200 and something innings a day. And, and they were he like, allowed ah. like five runs the whole freaking season. And they're like, mm. nah. what, what were they? What were they celebrating? It's not like they were celebrating strikeouts. Wins, like, wh- baby wins. Yeah, I guess so. It's like that. That's, that's Jameis Winston eating the W. Uh, after receiving a rise in salary to $5,000 per year. Holy shit. Wow. Make that money. He reported to camp the following year. Blank of blank. Oh, he reported like in a crazy uh, luxurious vehicle. Out of shape. He reported oh. out of shape. <laughs> oh, so and- it was like he got paid and then stopped giving a shit. Yeah, kind of like Andrew Jones. Uh, in late mm-hmm. May, Leonard was suspended by the team for insubordination. Insubordination. Okay. Insubordination. <laughs> by the way, it, that is still something that generally is what happens. We just never refer to it in that way. I know it's pretty great. Yeah, I think of the military. Uh, prior to 1919, he gets traded to the Yankees. Never shows up in a Yankees uniform. Becomes a salary holdout because he demanded that his entire 1919 salary be deposited into. Uh, crypto. <laughs> <laughs> he was early on it. Yeah, yeah, way ahead of it. Yeah. Dutch Leonard was the OG Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, no, he insisted that the money be deposited into a savings account ahead of the season. It's so funny, too, because it's like later on he ends up making <laughs> millions on grapes. Right. If only he knew that the riches would eventually come post-baseball career. Uh, in this era, he's relying more on the spitball, spends a bunch of time with the Tigers. Uh, this is when he gets suspended. He violates the reserve clause, uh, and just goes and pitches an indie ball for two years. It gets suspended Mm. from organized ball, comes back to Detroit. And this is where things get really, really spicy. Okay. In 1925, he started 18 games for the Tigers. However, the pitcher feuded constantly with manager. Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, who had long disliked Leonard and would later claim that the Southpaw was one of only two players he ever intentionally blanked during his career. Wait a minute, but he's on his team. This is his, yes. it was his manager. He so he was one guy. of two players he ever benched, just like benched or spiked. Or, wait, what did what you say? Spiked. Sp- <laughs> oh, oh, he's saying like, Wait, but in what context? When he was running the bases? When they played against each other. Oh, that's a great point. Dutch Leonard, I guess, was like covering a base as a pitcher. Oh, 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 so, right, right, right. Okay, I see. So it was like a play at, wow, okay. And Ty Cobb admitted that while he was on his team. Here, yeah, he admitted this while he was on his team. What happened here was basically like, you know, Ty Cobb was being accused of being dirty. And he was like, I wasn't dirty. I only intentionally spiked two people during my career, including Dutch Leonard, who's on my team. People, dude, that still happens now with pitchers. They'll be like... I've only thrown at someone intentionally three times. Like, that's three too many. <laughs> and they think by saying that, like, it's great. Like, oh, when, great. like now when when guys plunk each other, it's like, listen, if it was intentional, I would tell you. And then I'd get fined and suspended like a dumbass. <laughs> like, I've only cheated on my taxes three years. <laughs> uh, according to Cobb biographer Charles Alexander, Cobb punished Leonard by deliberately blanking him. By deliberately blanking him. As his manager. Deliberately, I don't know, like, le- I was going to say, like, leaving him out there to just, yes, like, correct. Yes, he's getting del- crushed and they just let yes. him get him. By deliberately overusing him, even after <laughs> the team him. physician warned that the work could do permanent damage to the pitcher's arm. When Leonard protested that his arm hurt, Cobb castigated him in front of the entire team, exclaiming, quote, don't you dare turn Bolshevik on me. 
I'm the boss here. <laughs> oh my god! Wait, so it looks like he so he had Ty Cobb for two years. This is we're talking about 1924 and 1925. These are the last two years of his career. Um, and how yeah, I mean, he? how old is Dutch Leonard? He's like 32 at this point. 32. Here's 33. what's incredible about this, right? The team physician in 1925 was like, eh, "This is a little much." <laughs> They were having guys throw like 400 innings. Right. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, Cool it. I mean, it's, dude, this is great. This long. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hold on. I just wanted, I'm just going to send you a box score. This is the second to last game that, um, that Dutch Leonard ever pitched. And this really sums up the punishment because I was looking and it doesn't look like he was pitching like back to back days or whatever. But this line, this is the second to last major league game that Dutch Leonard ever pitched. Um, tell me tell me what happened in this game. Because this kind of sums up the beating that, that Ty Cobb just let him take. It's funny you say that, Jordan, because matters finally came to a head on July 14th when Leonard suffer, suffered the most brutal loss of his career, surrendering 12 runs and 20 hits to the A's. Despite the pounding, Cobb kept Leonard in the game for the full nine innings. Even Connie Mack, the opposing manager, pleaded with Cobb to take Leonard out of the game, reportedly saying, quote, <laughs> you're killing that boy. Cobb laughed at the suggestion. And later that month, he placed Leonard on waivers and pulled strings to make sure that no other team claimed him. He was particularly hurt that Tris Speaker, manager of the Cleveland Indians and a former teammate, passed on him. Once he cleared waivers, he ended up on the Pacific Coast League, but he refused to report. And with that, his professional baseball. What a surprise. I can't end. believe, I can't believe Dutch Leonard didn't show Now, I'm not going to go through the entire story that follows, but to get revenge on Mm -hmm. Cobb and Speaker, okay, Leonard probably concocts a story in which he claims that Speaker and Cobb bet on baseball and he produced letters that, you know, had evidence that they Mm. were gambling on a specific game, letters that were probably manufactured, (laughs) and he presents these letters to American League President Van Johnson. And Ban Johnson's like, I mean, his name Ban. He's like banned. He, he like bans, uh, yeah, preemptively like bans Cobb and Speaker. Cobb resigns as manager, as does Speaker. They're both managing at this time, right? And says their days in the American League are over, which is like a big deal. Like there's like two of the greatest players of all time at mm-hmm. this at this point, and they're yeah, both managing, true. player managing, I think. And the American League commissioner is like, you are done. You're done because this guy Dutch Leonard who hates you wrote these letters, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who hated Ban Johnson, steps in and says, whoa, 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 something's fishy here. And he and he's like, Dutch Leonard, you got to come testify. And Dutch Leonard's like, nah, I'm on my ranch with my grapes. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so public opinion slowly turned and they realized that Dutch Leonard was probably making a lot of this shit up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he eventually cleared Cobb and Speaker of any wrongdoing. Leonard, meanwhile, spent the rest of his days turning his grape ranch into a multi-million dollar enterprise. So, Leonard enjoyed a a comfortable retirement in his lavishly furnished home, which sat on a 2,500-acre plot of land near Fresno. Among his most prized possessions was a record collection totaling 150,000 discs, died on July 11th, 1952, and left an estate totaling more than 2.1 million, which in 1952 is an absolutely mind-boggling amount of money. That is Dutch Leonard. Just just like an incredible. I just love that Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker fucked him over and he was just like, they cheated. 
Yeah, I mean the, the the him versus Ty Cobb is an incredible, like that kind of abuse, particularly in in professional baseball too. Um, for a guy who who had a great career before then, you know, it's not like he was a total total nobody. But that is that is just outstanding stuff all around, and that is just a special box score. Um, twenty hits, <laughs> twenty hits, no walks is really really special. So. There, uh, has that ever been done? I, I just looked. Yeah, there, there were a bunch of these games. Um, nine games ever, obviously all before 1930. <laughs> with 20 hits allowed and no walks. Uh, and this is one of them. So, um, yeah, really, really but incredible stuff. And, and 20 yeah, hits, a, no walks, nine innings of work is just phenomenal. Yeah, and, and this is one of those ones where, man, we just wish we had the pitch count, right? And, you know, it's, there are a lot of box scores from then when it would have been great to have the pitch count. Um, I also love that this was against Lefty Grove. So he kind of was already up against it when the game started. And then it was just like, well, you're just going to have to wear this one, buddy. Yeah, we're going to um, have the pitch counts because he, of the MLB he, blackouts, you know. Here's another thing about this. he For a whole career of, of insubordination, I'm surprised that at no point he was just like, fuck you, Ty Cobb. I'm, I'm out of here. Like I'm, I'm walking off the mound after the sixth inning. Uh, no more. I do not want to pitch anymore. My favorite part of this game, though, is that Ty Cobb, who was the player manager, batting fourth and playing center field, <laughs> took himself out of this game when it got out of hand. Okay, he Ty Cobb removed himself from the proceedings. Mm, he said, "This is too much for me." However, Dutch Leonard. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna stay out there and uh, and hang and hang around. That is so funny. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again for another edition of Dead Ball Mad Libs. We appreciate that. <laughs> um, uh, you guys can email us baseballbarbecast at gmail.com. That's b a r b cast. We'll keep those emails coming. Uh, more pods on the way. Uh, Chris Tyler, thank you for producing. Any final thoughts, Jakemans? Got some exciting news coming down the pipe, mm. potentially, Jordan. We have some some very very cool stuff coming podcast related, uh, so so stay tuned for that. Um, but uh, until then, uh, enjoy your weekend. Thank you to Pedro Mora, of course, for for joining us again on, on this episode of Baseball Barbercast, and we will talk to you next week. Try not to get suspended for insubordination before our next show. Okay, I'll do my best. Serious XM Podcasts.